Welcome to Power Up Your Practice, the go-to podcast for law firm owners and managing attorneys working on the business, not in it. I'm Ruby Powers, your guide into the heart of law practice management, bringing you insights from leading legal minds, trailblazing attorneys, and expert guests who provide you with an actionable perspective on running your firm more effectively and efficiently. Prepare to open your mind, be inspired, and power up your practice to the next level. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Ruby Powers, your companion through this ever-evolving landscape of the practice of law. Uh, In each episode, we're going to get to hear our guests' superpowers and their perspectives on reaching success. You know, this uh, intro is really catchy. I started to catch myself sort of dancing to it. But today we have John Meredith and um, a really awesome person. Um, We met several years ago through the Houston Bar Association Law Practice Management Section. And we both have been chairs or presidents. uh, I forgot whatever our title has been. But you've been a a great, you know, um, person to know. He is the chief operating officer at Chamberlain uh, Herdlicka, a law firm with offices in Atlanta, Houston, Philadelphia, and San Antonio. And I just happened to get to bump into him in Houston. Um, He has an MBA from Georgia Tech, focusing on marketing and management. He's uh, a co-founder of the award-winning Aspiring Youth After School Programs for At-Risk Youth as a volunteer project. And uh, to get training in nonprofit management, he earned a master in public administration. He's served as president and general counsel until 2005 and currently volunteers as chairman um, with that, the foundation. And in 2017, he joined uh, Chamberlain Herdlicka as the chief operating officer. And um, so, John, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon. Thanks, Ruby. I enjoy uh, spending time with you and it's great to get to talk uh, on your podcast. Yeah. And, you know, I've had you speak to my law class a few times and every time you change it up and I learn something new about you and um, just, you know, a lot of us law firm owners or managing attorneys, um, we, we love to have a CEO as amazing as you one day, but all, we're just too small <laughs> so, in many cases. And, you know, so just to learn of like from all of your experience, how we can sort of aspire to that one day. So hopefully we'll talk a lot about culture um, and communication, team building, and just sort of some of the things that you've you've gone through with the firm that you're at and just, I mean, all cumulatively with your career. Um, so, I mean, how do you think it's um, that one could, um, what are ways to impact and improve a law firm's culture? Yeah, culture is really important. Uh, I've worked at four different law firms. And the second law firm that I worked with, Greenberg Traurig, they preach culture all the time. It's a 2000 plus person firm, but they talk about their culture. And so it got me really clear on the importance of culture. So when I've gone to a couple of firms that aren't, aren't as large as that, I've brought those principles to the firms. And so At Chamberlain Herlica, where I am, our culture is one of excellence and collaboration. And we started working on that culture early on, where if you have excellence in what you do, then clients will want to come to you. They'll they'll give you referrals. They'll want to come back. And the collaboration is the reason you join together, right? And you work as a team because it allows you to 
really uh, develop and, and even go further than you could otherwise. There's a great phrase, if you go by yourself, you go faster. If you go with others, you go farther. Mm-hmm. And that's what the collaboration can do. And so it doesn't mean even that you have to be with others in a firm. You could do what you're doing here, right? You're collaborating with me, uh, e- even though we're not in the same firm. And so uh, I think that culture really is important as, as uh, you develop a firm so that people know what a firm is about. Yeah, I I was really guilty the beginning of my firm, it's 14 years old now, of, of just thinking culture was like cake and tacos. Like as long as I had cake at birthday time and tacos on Tuesday occasionally, occasionally otherwise we're going to gain a lot of weight here. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> that I, I'm good, you know, but then I it, it was a rude awakening when I realized there's way more to that. And you really have to have a pulse on directing the culture, keeping it in line. And um, just like having ideally have someone in charge of it, because otherwise it just sort of goes loosey goosey, goes anywhere, sort of like a Ouija board. You don't know where the hell is going and you just have to um, keep control over over where you want. And, and it goes a lot in line with your vision and mission and, and what your objectives are. Um, so you have this uh, interesting story you were sharing with our law students not too long ago about this recent build out. So, I mean, change is hard. Um, there's things like ADCAR and there's like, you know, really we should be looking about changes and opportunity, but, um, so you recently went through so a change with your firm, describe your recent build out where you moved from sheetrock walls to clear glass walls and how did yeah. that work? So as you mentioned early on, we have several offices and one of our offices is in Atlanta and about a year ago we built it out and we put film on the glass from about maybe three feet to six and a half feet so that if you're walking by, you still have the privacy, but it lets some light in and you're able to see a little bit more. Well, in the Houston build out that we just moved back in and in November, we're we're in February if people are trying to figure out, so say, you know, three months or we're almost in February and the uh, difference in the Houston office is we went with clear glass. Um, all right, I, I'm going to violate every norm. I'm sure your person is going to say, don't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm going to okay. turn around my screen and show oh. you my view. Oh, wow, that's a lot of clear glass. Which, which will, that's that's what I'm looking at. And the, and uh, she's looking at me probably wondering, what are you doing? <laughs> but so I'm going to turn around so it doesn't move too fast. So that is the view that we have here. And we, um, as in almost any decision, you are not totally certain if a decision is going to be well received. And in law firm area and in just life in general, a majority, of course, is 51%. Uh, a large majority is 65% three quarters is really hard to do. So if you get three quarters, we have, let's say a, a hundred attorneys here, that means 75 attorneys like it, but that means 25 are not that happy with it, right? E- even though you've got a large majority that, that want it. And so you say, how do you get that change management? How do you get them to try it? And what our uh, architect Gensler said was, 
you have to let people live in it. Just say, I hear what you're saying, that it may not be the, you know, what, what you're thinking is an ideal work situation, which we really care about. And we really want to make it a great place to work. But they said, just live in it and see if it works. And we've been very fortunate that that uh, it's a little easier to live in than, than we thought. And the people who like it even like it more. That doesn't mean everybody likes it. I don't want to, for, for your audience, you know, thinking, yeah. oh, it's 100%. It's not that. But people realize the value. And in, in, as it relates to clear glass, the value is not for the attorneys that in a sense lost their privacy. It's for the people in the interior. I showed you the assistant who's out there. Mm-hmm. She now gets to look at the same view essentially I do, right? Just through the glass yeah. in my office. And so she gets to take advantage of that. We also added 40 interior offices. So all those people otherwise would not be able to look outside unless the door was open because we used to have wood doors and now they get to enjoy the outside. And so more and more people get to enjoy that natural light and they say it helps you be more productive and have a great day. And um, so I'm sure you went through a lot about um, the, how did you get people on board, the ones who are against it? Well, I, I don't want to even imply they're on board, right? I mean, you know, in the sense that that they were willing to to try it. Um, in the end, uh, the you you part of it was accom- making certain accommodations. One, we figured out that your monitors. I have two monitors in front of me right here. Block a lot of of the view outside. So I'm not mm-hmm. completely exposed to the outside, so to speak, because mm-hmm. somebody right now may have an idea that I'm talking if they come around to the side, but they can't see I'm talking right now because my monitors blocked that. So that that was one thing. Um, we also made a number of enhancements throughout the office, including rising desk. As you can possibly see, I'm standing up right now. Yeah, I saw that. We, yeah. we had that uh, as a feature where people could have desks go up and down so that it gave them the ability to uh, hopefully ergonomically um, enjoy the workplace even more. So we tried to offset that loss because it can be a loss. It can feel like a loss of privacy uh, with with ways to fix it and then tried to make the environment and help them understand the value to those on the inside. And in the end, you hope they go, well, I'm really glad the person on the inside can see, and it's it's worth it to me to give up my privacy. Well, um, just whether it's about the sheetrock and the clear glass, or it's about change your case management software, it takes a lot to put uh, to go through change and get every the buy-in. So I commend you on on going through that. <laughs> um, so you know, um, a lot of people have firms that have virtual assistants and hybrid and in person, and I know there's a lot of you know, come in this many days or anchor days or something. And, and, you know, but I mean, how do, how do you, with such a large firm, how, how do you keep the hybrid employees engaged and sort of making it fair, those who are allowed to work hybrid or is it equal across the, is it consistent across the board who is, who's hybrid and who isn't? Because I know there's been a lot of sort of a pendulum swinging back a little bit to coming back to the office. Yeah. So, I think in the legal field, we haven't totally resolved what we're doing in, in, mm-hmm. that, in, that, in that regard. And 
some firms have. I, I know there are some firms roughly our, our size. Uh, we throughout all our offices have roughly 175 attorneys. So some firms just say everybody's back in five days a week and there we are. Th then uh, it makes it a little easier versus all the questions you had, which is, <laughs> is it is it two days, three days, four days? We, we originally were, of course, working from home. Then we started it with three days and now we're four days with an anchor day. So each of our offices have an anchor day. The other three offices are Tuesdays and ours is Wednesday. So tomorrow will be our anchor day. The part that isn't totally clear and set is what are the consequences if you don't come in on anchor day? You know, it, at least as an attorney, yeah. you know, staff come in and, and we have found that for staff assisting other uh, attorneys and, and in general, their involvement, it is, it does work, work better if they're in person that they're able to assist more in person. Uh, but we still have one day remote and we're glad we can do that and glad to give that flexibility. But it, it's, um, it is something that in the legal field, people talk about a good bit. What, what's the ideal amount of time? Is it three days, four days, five days? Yeah. And, you know, what happened with us recently is I think I was like, okay, we're on hybrid. Everybody's on a rotation, but I completely, well, I hope they're not listening to it, but I sort of forgot about the virtual assistants who never come in. And I was like, oh, we need to go back to doing those activities where people are like talking about stuff. So even in today's office meeting, um, we did this like like live directory where we were on Zoom and uh, those who were in person were in person, but the ones on Zoom and everyone said, my name is and I do this, you know, and I'm the office manager or whatever. And so, and we recorded it too. So whoever's missing or when we have new people could see it, but we're, we're trying to go back and make sure we keep the, the culture, keeping me aware of that just because we sort of stopped doing some of the fun things we did during the pandemic, which... Um, to try to gel the, the hybrid and the virtual team members together. But no, I, I, I think we, I've seen all these headlines about you have to come back in or, but then I talked to some firms who are like, no, we're, we're still virtual or I'm going to keep building a virtual practice. So I, I think the jury's still out in the, in the law profession. It is. And we have been very fortunate in Houston. We won uh, Best Places to Work from the Houston oh. Business Journal. Yeah, uh, three years running. And wow. so we take that real seriously because it's voted on by our employees. They they vote on it. And, um, you know, so we want them to feel like they're in a place that they're glad to come to work here, that we're treating them well. And so we you know, you balance, you know, uh, their their needs, the needs of the people they work with, and hopefully put it all together in a way that, that works. So you do something interesting. You have these expectation meetings for new employees. And I think you you either meet with every single person that, that or a group or something like that. But um, tell, tell us a little bit more about what that is and how you like onboard people. Yeah, so it's, Part of our onboarding process, we have learned, and mo most people realize this intuitively, that when you come into any experience, like like this podcast, right? You know, there are expectations that come in. You know, what 
What's it going to be like? What are they going to discuss? Well, in the workplace setting, you come in and if you're a staff member, you go, who is the best boss I've ever had and what are their characteristics? And the expectation or the hope is that your new boss is as good or better than your previous boss. Well, similarly, the person who's the supervisor boss has an expectation that the person coming in to help them working as part of the team, they know the best person they ever worked with, and they are sure hoping the new person's as close to that person as they can be. And they may have a realistic uh, understanding that that may not even be possible, but it's that discussion. And so we call them expectation meetings. And you go over things like, uh, what time do you come into work? Well, if, if say it's a legal administrative assistant and an attorney, well, if the legal administrative assistant was used to for years coming into work at seven and leaving at four, but the attorney comes to work at nine and leaves at six, there's not, they're, they're gonna pass. And so when that attorney's working from four to six on something really important that they wanna get out, you need to have that discussion early on. And some of those things you can talk about in the interview process, right? But there are others that aren't fully brought out where you can, you can talk about how do you like to exchange information? You know, do you, or do you like to send emails? Do you like to get on the phone? Do you like, you know, our texts at, out of bounds? No, I don't want anybody texting me at a certain time, or that's just the way I communicate. And sometimes I'm in a meeting and I, that's all I can do is send a text. People need to understand that. And so the more of those things you get out in these expectations meetings, the better chance the relationship goes, goes uh, optimal. Yeah, I think that's really important. And um, you know, we having a list of, you know, expectations, the job description, having uh, going over it a couple different ways, different uh, going uh, talking about things. I think that's so important uh, to having a successful um, relationship and and develop, strengthening the culture. Um, so I, I mean, part of probably what you look at is making sure you don't have high turnover. I don't know. I'm just like for as a COO, and that's that really hurts a lot of any business, honestly. And I think when I was starting out, I didn't really understand how to keep that from happening. But what are some of the now? Now I have a better <laughs> grasp on it. But what are um what do you think are some of the factors that some we should be considering or a, a law firm owner, managing attorney? To, to try to minimize turnover and to have more longevity. It's really a great point. So, you know, retention is something that we take really seriously. One thing we do is reward people who have been here at least 10 years. Huh? And maybe we ought to start with five, but when you've been here 10 years, you get uh, a plaque of some kind, or it's actually a crystal uh, sculpture, really. And it gets bigger and bigger as the years go on. <laughs> so, and then it goes every five years. So 10, 15, uh, we just had somebody receive a 45 year. Oh my. Plaque. And so um, you recognize it. And then of course you monetarily, you know, uh, reward it also. But the part of it is just having a culture, understanding the importance of staff we we tell all the associates they're the future of the firm we really want them to be around to stay around we want to invest in their future we want to see them succeed 
And so if you if they really feel that and believe that, then you know, part of being here versus being maybe at a larger firm is you get more interaction with supervisors, with uh, mentoring, you get uh, the ability to connect with people more. And so all those things hopefully come together. And we were really pleased last year, our retention skyrocketed uh, last year, and hopefully we're gonna continue that. A lot of the things that we did last year, we're, we're going to continue. Oh, wow. You know, um, that brings to me to mind because I'm, I'm working on my management chapter of my second book right now about law practice management. And I, I sort of believe that no one formally learns management, like even in the MBA, watching my husband get an MBA, um, I vicariously got one, I think, indirectly. Um, <laughs> but I mean, where where did you get your management skills from and, and how do you impart that on? staff too like how do how do you like institutionalize management growth so it's i'm looking around for the book that we read so we uh it's i think in my my uh uh it's right over there in fact that uh we're in the midst here i'll grab it okay uh, we're, we're in the midst of reading reading a book as a team and uh we want to continually be continuous learners Mm -hmm. and we as a group uh, go through a chapter each day, uh, each each time we meet. We meet every two weeks as a staff management team. On oh. We meet on teams and we go over a chapter and we talk about what they learn, what they applied. My background, I, I was in uh, ROTC in college. So that gives you an understanding of what the military's belief is in, in, uh -huh. in uh, management. And that applies in certain things. And then uh, you mentioned I got an MBA and uh, I focused on uh, management. And then um, I have taken the local management training here in Houston. I, uh, the examples are Leadership Houston. It's about a year long training. Oh, you yeah. go every month, you spend a full day. I went through American Leadership Forum, which is a year and a half. And you go a week away and do um, a ropes course and a bunch of stuff that, that you learn. And then I went through Center for Houston's Future and then the FBI Citizens Academy. So all those things to try to learn uh, management, but it but it's something you never fully get. And, it, and of course, a lot of it is the training you've seen from people around you, mm -hmm. your supervisors, other things. You modify it to make it work for you. And then everybody has their own way of handling stress or explaining things. And, and so you you put all that together, but we really believe in, in learning and training. And we were, we just had our annual staff managers meeting and we talked about purchasing some, some management training. So we've got a, uh, the ability to go out for some of our young uh, managers. We uh, want them to be trained in uh, the, being good managers and some of them have not been trained. So we are are going to uh, purchase that training so that they will feel more comfortable. Um, that, that's, that's so awesome. And I, I was trying to do a little tour to figure out where I put my books. I think I lent it with my management team, but 
Today I was teaching them about Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas um, Erickson. And then um, I picked up another really good one this weekend. Um, I'm trying to figure out what it was called. But um, anyway, but I like like the book club concept, you know, where you go through the chapters. And I was thinking about that too, like um, buying a copy for everybody and then walking through it. Yeah, 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 that's what that's what we do. We uh, um, th- there there's some great book books out there that uh, what one of the ones that we read was the Go Giver. So okay. I, I recommend that about the importance of giving and helping others, and uh, it really you, you know you think of the phrase Go Getter, and that's a good book too if if you ever want to read that. But Go Giver really is is a mindset and then they have the go-giver leader and some other things that that we've read so uh there are a number of wonderful books on management Uh, one thing we recommend to our staff is that they get involved in the community or a nonprofit because you can get leadership managerial training really you know without you know just just by watching other people or or implementing management in a setting where there's not as many consequences right worst case scenario they say you can't be uh give freely you know of your time okay so it's not like you're going to get fired typically (laughs) but you get you get to be on a board you get to see other leaders how they lead you get to lead people and so you know maybe in a in a um religious setting you know at your you know you could you could take a leadership position there or at a local community uh service organization and it really is a great training opportunity that's a really really good idea uh the other book i recently um read and bought recently was everyone deserves a great manager the six critical practices for leading a team and it's scott miller and todd davis and victoria uh, Ruth Olson. So um, I'm I'm I skimmed it last night because I'm I'm finishing up those chapters and and um, I'm also building up my management team. Um, so I think you pretty much gave me a good tip on that because um, uh, I I find that like first it was be be a better manager myself, but then now I'm like um, incubating managers, you know, because I'm building up the management level and and so it's. I, I just looked up one day and was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I didn't realize that's what I'm doing. One thing we did that we went over at our meeting was we listed our management principles. You know, mm-hmm. what are the nine parts of being a manager at Chamberlain Herlica? And so, that, you know, that, that was really important, you know, just so that we're all on the same page, because if you don't, if you don't mention that, then, then it really is not clear. We also came up with a mission. You want to hear the mission? I do. Uh, using best practices in a culture of excellence and collaboration. Oh, that's so, great. So, you know, uh, hopefully that that catches the essence of what we do, you know, that we really want to make, make hopefully a difference in the community and uh, help people feel good about what they're doing and, and feel good about coming to work. Oh, I love how much you your firm focuses on that, and I mean, it has to be a priority to be able to to maintain, you know, the the size that you of the firm you have, and and to be able to, you know, stay organized. I mean, some a lot of uh, you know people listening are 
probably just like, you know, how do I get my first or my third or my 10th employee? And like, how do I make sure it doesn't fall apart? (laughs) Um, But then you, then you like, you, you start doing that and then it's like, okay, let's take it up a notch. And that's where I see myself with my firm, uh, you know, 20 ish or so different people, 14 years old and creating like, um, there are different levels in the hierarchy or the accountability uh, chart. Uh, so, well, what's, what's like one thing that you've learned as being COO that like, it's so critical, like that we, that, that especially like it could be something that small firm owners could benefit from. You know, um, I, I, I was on a panel at the state bar of Texas and with, with some other uh, attorneys who were at smaller firms. And one idea that one of them had was set aside time each week on your calendar so that you express gratitude. And I really, I really like that. You know, he called it gratitude time. So I put it on my calendar, you know, as, as uh, something that is really important you know, so many people are make things run and make it run well that, you know, to give them the recognition and reminder how much they mean, you know, to the organization to use, it, it really can be important. I think um, the, the second would be just figuring out what it is that people want. You know, what, what are they trying to achieve? Of course, everybody w- wants a paycheck, but Beyond that, why why did they choose Chamberlain Hurlica? Why are they here? What it what is it? Because if nothing else, it helps you understand them, and they feel connected to you, and you feel connected to them, and really understand who they are as people. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good idea um, about the everything you just said, and and the gratitude. You know, I heard something recently that when you think when you're grateful, or you write out what you're grateful for, or you have like a grateful gratitude journal or something like it takes you up to a higher frequency. And then like, that's like Mm -hmm. one of the ultimate frequencies. And I don't know, I'm still reading all about that stuff, but um, you know, that's the higher vibration you have, uh, you attract positive things sort of like with the whole law of attraction and vibration stuff. But um, I, I think that that's brilliant. I think we should create more of a culture of gratitude and, um, and just acknowledgement of, of people's, work and great, great deeds. And, and um, like, even with my firm, we'll do like a, yay, someone got their green card or yay, someone got a pl- approved asylum. You know, we'll do that at the top of the, the office meeting. Um, but even just like, wow, you got all those cases out last week, or, oh, you got this case done so fast and, you know, kept a smile on your face or, um, you know, all the different, like um, you helped us winterize the, the house during the freeze. <laughs> True story. But <laughs> one of our assistants, he's great. Um, you know, oh, that reminds me of something um, before we start closing up where you said um, that you send an email every week, um, sort of giving like a summary. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I had been doing that really for almost 20 years. So whatever, 20 times 52, I guess that a thousand times, you know, a thousand weeks in a row, no matter where, where I am in the world, I will send an email on Friday afternoons, basically talking about the, the week coming forward. And, and really it's the whole, the whole year practically. Um, So we, we have, we call it a weekly newsletter. 
And up at the top, it has our logo that it says culture of excellence and collaboration. So the culture part is right there, you know, for people to see. And then it has the calendar list of upcoming items, things that we're doing, we'll be doing. Then we have all the people who've joined. And, and then we, we go from there to congrats. Like, uh, you know, somebody just had a baby, somebody uh, just passed, passed the bar exam. If there are any departures, that would be there. Um, and then we go down and we have different departments report. So HR will tell different things that are going on and benefits for this year. And then we talk about marketing and business development tips. And then we list everybody's birthday and their anniversary with the firm that month. So if somebody has a birthday that month, it shows up on there and reminds everybody so they can, they can uh, congratulate them. And then kind of the retention side, we show how long people have been there on the anniversaries, work anniversaries. And then I put a quote of the week and some other things, you know, in there. But and then we talk about cybersecurity or IT tips, different things. And so that goes out every week. It, it gets updated and uh, hopefully connects everybody. They feel um, a part of the team as part of receiving the newsletter each week. That's that's great. When you shared that, um, it made me think that my office meeting, it's a meeting. It's like its like your, your email. And I'm thinking like at some point I'm going to have to make that meeting an email or find a different way to to give that part impart that information because um it, the, the team as the team grows it's a lot of people um but hopefully they're retaining i don't know if do you give them like a quiz or like oh, no, no. It? <laughs> I, i'm always surprised when people read it so, oh, yeah. so if uh if there's something wrong in it you'll you'll find out you know but I usually look at it multiple times before it goes out, but even then, sometimes you miss something. Oh, I remember one more thing. Okay, uh, you said something to my students, like I can tell your future or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what's that story? Yeah, so when I'm speaking to groups and I'm you know, virtually speaking to a bunch of people here, I tell them, I can see your future. And the way I can see your future is you're going to be like the five people you spend the most time with. It's really hard to be different than the people you're around. I mean, Ruby's an example. You know, your energetic uh, learning uh, uh, desire as people who are listening to this podcast over and over, you, all the books you're reading, your wanting willingness to learn. Well, you, it makes me want to learn, right? I wrote down everybody deserves a great manager. I want to read that. So, you know, I, before this this interaction, I wasn't thinking about that, and so that's the way we are, and so what what they found is if you want to be like somebody else go hang out with them figure out the way reason they do that and it's very hard to be different than the people you're around you know it's like if you want to do a new year's resolution to work out all the time go hang out with people who work out all the time and they'll just drag you along you know and you'll you'll yeah. get in that group and you'll you'll be more and more like them so that that's the seeing the future part well, I love it. And, you know, in a way um, with the podcast, like if you surround yourself by listening to some people that you want to be like or energetic learning, always solving problems, finding success, whatever that however they define it, then then in a way you're sort of in, you are surrounding yourself by those five people. But That's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. For right. Sure. Um, 
Well, okay. So uh, there's one question that I want to ask every time. Well, there's two questions. One of them is, what's your favorite board game? You know, probably it's one I grew up playing called Rook. It's an older oh. game. Not many okay. people know about it, but it's a really fun. It, it's with cards. And uh, so uh, you, my grandmother, who was born in the 1800s, she would she, you're supposed to be like in poker when you have a good hand, you don't tell anybody, right? Uh -huh. But when you have the rook card, it means you're going to win, at least that that oh. particular hand. Well, everybody knew she had the rook card because when she got it, she would just start laughing over and over again. She just couldn't control herself. She wasn't a good good poker player. So I have uh, really good memories of, of the game rook. <laughs> I'm like Googling it and uh, yeah, it came out in like 1906. It's a trick exactly. card game. By yeah. Huh. Oh, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun, fun family game. Um, okay. And then the last question, which is about what's, what do you think is your superpower and, and maybe where, how do you think you got it? Wow. Well, when I was thinking of this question, I thought it was if I could have a superpower, but you, you're, yours, you switched it on me, which I kind of like that. <laughs> You're saying if I had a superpower, I, I like that even better. But let me do the first one, then I'll do the second. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll do the one if I could if I could have a superpower. What really motivates me is to help people reach their success, become mm -hmm. successful. It really motivates me. So if I had a superpower, it would be that I could help people be successful and oh, okay. achieve their level of success. That to me would be a neat superpower. But to the extent I have a superpower, my wife would probably say that I don't need much sleep. So oh. it allows me to get a lot done. I basically wake up, you know, long before she does and have a, have a, get a lot done uh, because I need to do a lot. And uh, so I don't know if that's a superpower or a super, super weakness or what, what it's, what it's, <laughs> but it allows me to get a lot done. Well, I think you can count it as a superpower. And I think you are doing the other superpower you're talking about because you're helping everyone in your firm and the foundation and everywhere else when you come speak to my students or here on the podcast. So you're accomplishing all of those. Um, and you are an example of those superpowers. And um, and I think to your question, like, is it a weakness I about the sleep? One, I, I think that reality, any superpower can be a weakness in, in sort mm -hmm. of in excess. And uh, because I, I probably have something similar to you where I don't need as much sleep, especially compared to my husband. Um, but it's just like, I've got, I've got stuff to do. I've got, I've got things. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but anyway, though, no, that's great. So John, we covered a lot of, a lot about culture, about um, the importance of different tactics for onboarding, how to build up your management team. Um, I mean, I learned, I, I need to take notes. Um, and I love like the book club type of concept and, and sort of growing your, your management team. So um, I'm really grateful to have you uh, on today. Is there, um, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to, to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn is good. Um, you're welcome to do that. And then I'm at Chamberlain Herlica Law Firm and I'm on the website and bios. So just send me an email and be happy to help you in any way I can. Thank you so much, John. Well, 
uh, thanks everyone for joining us on this insightful journey today. Uh, I know we all learned a lot and we dropped a couple of good bo book names as well. Your time and engagement means the world to us. So if you've enjoyed this episode and want to continue the conversation, connect with us on the Power Up Your Practice Facebook group and keep powering up. Feeling overwhelmed by admin tasks? You're not alone. Many immigration lawyers are in the same boat. That's where Staffy comes in. Over 90 law firm owners just like you have turned to Staffy for help with legal, administrative, marketing, and client-facing work. Now, Staffy's mission, to help lawyers find balance while growing their firm. With bilingual virtual staff and full HR support, they take the hassle out of a team management and focus on what matters most, your clients and your practice. I've personally benefited from Staffy's support with seven virtual assistants of my own across various areas of two of my businesses, including my law firm. Now schedule a free initial consultation with Staffy, that's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and use the code Ruby, that's R-U-B-Y for $500 off. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Up Your Practice Law Practice Management Podcast. I'm your host, Ruby Powers, and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Join us next week for another episode where we'll continue to explore insightful strategies for success. Help your practice with us. See you next time.